Chapter Five of The Old Ladies by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Christmas Eve, Polchester Winter Peace. It was a seasonable Christmas that year. Enough snow fell, then enough frost came, and then the sun shone. If it did not shine, at least it rode a circle of crimson fire through the heavens, and before the frost, but after the slime of preparatory fogs, fragments of its fire splashed the high street and spread in pools across the precinct's floor. As I have intimated in other chronicles, Polchester of the old days was an enclosed town. The Riviera was unknown to it, and the Garden of Allah a dream with Omar. Though London might call to the richer citizens on one occasion or another, at Christmas time everyone stayed at home, and more wonderful yet to our modern disillusion, enjoyed family parties with Christmas trees, plum puddings, stockings, and the waits invited into the hall. It is not true, however, that the weather was any more romantic than it is today. There were just as many rainy and muggy and foggy and dirty and dismal skies, and Glebeshire, warmer than any other part of the British Isles, has never had an intimate acquaintance with crisp and shining snow. About once in twenty years there are snowfalls, frosts, and blue skies, and how happy then everyone is, and how eagerly everyone hands down the year to an envious posterity. This was such a year. And ten days before Christmas the frost came and held. The powdered snow remained jeweled and resplendent. The sun looked down from a sky as delicately blue as an eggshell, and laughed to see the fun. And fun there was. Magnus' toy shop in the market cloisters had a Father Christmas, a true and veritable Father Christmas to be seen with two crimson cheeks and a long snow-white beard any afternoon between two and four. Jeremy Cole so beheld him, and his sisters Mary and Helen, and the dean's son Ernest, and the Fisher girls, and little Tommy Chawner. He did not say much, but he moved between the dolls and the trains, the balls and the soldiers, as only Santa Claus could move, with an authority, a benignity, a ripe wisdom, that no impostor could have been clever enough to feign. Everyone did their best. In the marketplace there was a Punch and Judy, with a thick-set, jolly-faced man in charge, and he might have been that very same Garrick, friend of Meredith, whose history has been elsewhere narrated. I don't say he was, and I don't say he wasn't. Halfway up the high street, Gummidge's, the stationers, had a whole Christmas tree in their window. Here was a stumbling block to the whole high street traffic. It was quite impossible to get any child, any perambulator baby indeed, past that window. It was a tree frosted, colored, and shining, hung about with every glittering bauble, shaped to a perfect pinnacle of exquisite symmetry. But best of all was the window of Hunt and Griffin, the general store. For here, for the first time in Polchester history, was a whole front window given over to pageantry, to none other than the scene in the life of Cinderella, when, despondent beside the fire, she is amazed by the sudden apparition of her peak-hatted godmother. There is the fire, and there Cinderella, there the pots and pans, the brick floor, and the huge kitchen rafters, there the godmother, and there, beyond the snow-lined window-pane, the vision of the gold coach and the snow-white ponies. 
So great was the confusion outside the window that had this occurred in these traffic-haunted times, the show must have been forbidden. But in those lucky days, nobody minded, nobody cared. Let the children have a good time. Christmas comes but once a year, and even Mrs. Sampson, although her neuralgia was at its height, could not but admit that the window made a happy display. The town rang during these days with laughter. Proctor Hill, outside the town, had just enough snow on it to allow of tobogganing, and pole fields, having been flooded, gave for a whole wonderful fortnight the most marvellous skating. The town rang with laughter and the ringing of bells. The cathedral let itself go and burst into perpetual peals of merriment to the great annoyance of late sleepers, dyspeptics, and ruminating essayists. There was fun everywhere, apples and oranges in the marketplace, and carols up and down the streets after dark. It was the best Christmas that Polchester had known for many a day past, or would know for many a day to come. Mrs. Amherst was one who had always enjoyed a seasonable Christmas. To her, as to every old person, Christmas was filled with sad memories, but she had a wonderful gift of enjoying fun at the moment of its occurrence, and being aware that she was so enjoying it, and because the fun in her life had been neither frequent nor extravagant, very small occurrences amused and excited her. This was the happiest Christmas known to her for many a day. Struggle as she might not to think of the money coming to her, she could not keep it out of her consciousness. She told herself again and again, and when she was alone in her room she repeated the words aloud sometimes, that she must not place too strong a reliance on her cousin's promise. He may have altered his mind the next moment. It's silly to believe him. Nevertheless, the solemnity of his words, the caress of his hand, as it rested on her head, these things were difficult to dismiss. And the happiness that came from the promise was also difficult to dismiss. She was naturally happy. Give her the least excuse, and she must be happy. Although she believed that God did not intend that human beings should be very happy because they were in this world for the training of their souls, and souls were better trained by sorrow than by joy, nevertheless an imp of happiness would continue to jump in her heart and stir her little world with his discordant cries of joy. Joy at what? a kindly action a splash of sun across the street a barrel organ round the corner a stained-glass window an apple and a piece of cheese she could not keep down her spirits as being a penniless lonely old widow of over seventy she should and this christmas she lost completely her self-control she adored above everything else in the world the spending of money perhaps for the very reason that she never had very much to spend she had never been able to believe that statement often written in the papers that millionaires did not know what to do with their money did not know why she could spend a million pounds quite easily at gummidge's alone but there the newspapers were never to be trusted she liked greatly to be given things but still better was it herself to make presents the excitement of giving someone something he or she wanted was intense to watch the opening of the parcel to see the stare of pleasure and surprise to hear the exclamation to feel the affection flowing out was there any luxury in life like it and it was a luxury that of late she had been compelled to deny herself 
last christmas she had given agatha payne half a dozen pocket handkerchiefs mrs bloxham a piece of ribbon and her cousin a pocket-book worst sorrow of all it was impossible to send brand anything no use to throw parcels out into the void the best she could do was to write two letters one a month in advance and this she sent to the only address she had something in california and then one on christmas eve such as she had always written to him at christmas time this she also sent out to california but she wrote it because for a moment it brought him closer to her she felt with his photograph up there in front of her as though she had him with her in the room these were all but poor substitutes for reality and cheat ourselves as we may our subconscious selves refuse to be deceived mrs amherst knew nothing about her subconscious self but she did know that after last christmas she had a miserable sense of inadequacy and frustrated purpose she had made nobody happy even mrs bloxham had disappeared into the intimacies of her family to emerge two days later with a black eye and a bruised cheek this year she would fling her cap over the mill she had prospects she did not face them finally these prospects did not take them hold them in front of her look them in the eyes and say to them as one always ought to do to prospects now are you sound and healthy have you got heart and lungs and legs and arms and a good stiff back no she merely reported on them she heard that they were good and healthy and promised very well indeed and then she went ahead the plan came to her in the middle of the night or rather in one of those early morning hours when the first cock crows and the hidden despair raises its abominable head lying there in the early morning she drove her despairs away and considered miss beringer poor miss beringer what a frightened nervous trembling creature she was she would like to do something for her she would like well to give her a happy christmas and agatha payne too it was then that the idea came to her at first she was frightened of it it would demand energy and persistence and had she enough money money in the future would not do she examined her purse and found that she had sufficient did she use part of next quarter's rent she trembled at that but she was sure that kind mr agnew when he knew of the promise that her cousin had made to her would not hesitate to advance her she trembled her heart warned her her cheeks were flushed and she had a guilty air but she held to her purpose and once she had begun she did not look back once she had begun she could not look back she moved during those frosty colored days about the town the very spirit of adventure she found that she must go quietly the excitement tired her and sometimes she would in a moment feel so weary that she could not get to the top of the high street and on one occasion when she was at the top she could not go down again and had to take refuge in the shop of mr bennett the grand bookseller there she sat greatly alarmed on a chair in the very middle of the shop with busts of byron and walter scott looking down on her and a grand smell of russian leather and old vellum in her nostrils and the complete works of george eliot at her elbow old mr bennett was very kind to her although she told him at once that she was not there to buy anything and who should come in at that very moment but archdeacon brandon himself magnificent 
handsome superb ordering somebody on the psalms with the air of a king and a conqueror she looked around her with the hope of seeing some of her husband's plays and when she did not would have liked to ask mr bennett whether he kept them in stock but her courage failed her and she could only thank him very much and slip out of the shop as quietly as possible fortunately she did not hear the archdeacon's question and who was that shabby little woman he asked out of all kindness feeling it his duty as the father of the flock to keep his eye upon all the inhabitants of the town she tried to keep her head about her purchases she found as many others have found before and after her that the best things were always the most expensive and then when it came to the central purchase of all to the core the heart the kernel the pinnacle the pièce de résistance de raison d'être and any other foreign phrase that you prefer she found that here expense was inevitable try as you would it must cost more than you had supposed of course she only wanted a small one but even the small ones and then at the last two days before christmas she found in the market-place in a corner behind the old woman under the green umbrella the very thing a darling a perfect specimen a miracle and when she inquired of the nice round-faced man whose possession it was she found that it was only well less than the experience of the last two days had led her to believe possible although more a good deal more than she had originally intended she bought it and ordered that it should be sent to her room blushing a little in spite of herself as she named the address she gave her name very carefully begging him to be watchful that it should not be sent to any other room by mistake and he promised her saying that he would himself bring it he did in fact arrive with it and when she was there and she liked him very much holding him in conversation for quite a while and then giving him an orange for the baby after that she guarded her room like a dragoness and would not allow may beringer who was already forming a too constant habit of dropping in to cross her threshold christmas eve arrived and mrs amherst awaking to the inspiring voice of mrs bloxham was delighted when she discovered how fine and clear it was no wind the smoke rising from the chimneys elephant gray against the blue the thin rind of frost the sparrows already chattering at her window for their crumbs after her little midday meal she sat down to the table found her paper and envelopes and wrote to brand her letter was as follows my dearest darling boy i must write to you as i always do although i sadly fear that it will be a long time before you get this letter the one that i wrote to you a month ago may reach you before christmas and i hope it will this i am writing because it seems as though i am talking to you and i don't wish to allow christmas to pass by without having a word with my dear boy perhaps you have been writing to me and still to the old address i told them at cheltenham to forward anything on but they are so stupid at the post-office although as a matter of fact i always think it wonderful considering the sort of postman one sees walking about that they don't lose more letters than they do quite boys some of them are and they none of them have very intelligent faces although i dare say they are good men 
well dearest boy i try to imagine to myself the kind of christmas you are having but it is really difficult for me because you told me in the last letter i had from you that it was quite hot at christmas time that seems to me very strange and not very nice i think of course it is often warm here for christmas both last year and the year before that we had rain and muggy weather but this year it is delightful with a hard frost and the sun shining cold and seasonable it's so pleasant for the children and more healthy for everybody i am sure i am well in health that cough i had when i wrote to you last has quite gone away and i am sure that those lozenges that i found at cubitt's he's our best chemist here in the high street if only i could hear that you are quite well and will come home soon for a visit i would be quite happy you know dear boy i am an old woman now and can't expect to live forever so that i do hope you'll be able to come home soon it's very nice here and i'm very comfortable there's something else i'd like to tell you about but i suppose that i must not just yet because it isn't quite settled i think of you so much and pray for you night and morning at this time of the year when god came down to earth and took upon him our flesh and was a little baby in a manger i think we should all make him feel how thankful we are i know that he is looking after you and so i don't worry about you at least i know that you are warm you used to be so careless about your underclothing when you were a little boy my dearest boy you are always in my thoughts your loving mother she sat for a long time after she had written the letter with his photograph in front of her she thought of him in all the ways that she had known him as a baby at her breast as a small boy in his first trousers as a boy going to his first day school and forgetting her so quickly in the new excitements of other boys and games and masters as all right and proper boys must do of course and then as he grew her interest in the strange new personality that developed as flower from the bud a personality that was so strange because it was like neither herself nor his father somebody quite new and then his growing independence his chaffing at the literary and artistic interests of his father his desire for the open-air life and complete independence then her own strange sympathy with him and although she loved him so dearly she understood that he should want to get away and be free she had felt it herself in her married life and she realized that he was her own son not by right of the quiet and domestic character that was most obvious in her but by right of that secret independence and sharpness of judgment that her married life had subdued in her he left her and at intervals returned to her she had been a woman of forty when she had borne him and he had been only twenty-seven when she had last seen him still a boy although so strong and independent she looked at the photograph until she seemed to draw him out of the frame and he came to her and put his arms around her and teased her in the old laughing way that he had always had but she was not simply a sentimental woman she was in fact scornful of emotion that led to nothing and so she put the photograph back upon the mantelpiece put on her bonnet and her coat and because it was already three o'clock and would soon be dusk hurried off to take her present to her cousin this year she was giving him a picture a photogravure in a nice black frame of holman hunt's carpenter shop 
she had not been quite lately to visit him lest she should seem to be reminding him of his promise she had not heard how his health was but she hoped that this bright weather had helped him and that he would perhaps see her nevertheless as she crossed the bridge and climbed the hill a little chilling wind whence she knew not breathed upon her heart rising out of the dark purple-hued river appeared the figure of agatha payne she saw quite unexpectedly reasons for may beringer's terrors there was something alarming about agatha something not quite normal and healthy something odd and twisted it came perhaps because the poor old thing lived so much alone but mrs amherst gave a little shiver and thought to herself that she would move from that house in the spring to somewhere brighter and more companionable she could not drive the company of agatha from her mind all up the hill it kept pace with her and then in another flash of memory she saw a picture of her childhood something that had not come to her for many a year it was a picture that used to hang in the dining-room of a witch weaving her spells in a dark and lonely wood before her was a large iron pot into which she flung toads and snakes and strange purple-tinted leaves from the cauldron came a blue thick smoke it was true that the witch did not physically resemble agatha she was old and skinny with a back bent double and long groping fingers but there was something something and then pausing for breath before she entered her cousin's gate she smiled at her folly her practical mind drove her fancies like mist into the frosty air the house always ugly and forbidding seemed simply not to belong to the fresh and wonderful day the woods that fringed the hill were marvellous in their mystery the fragments of the river that gleamed among the brown folds of the sloping fields glittered like shreds of broken glass faintly amethyst the powdered frost shone and twinkled in the sharp and friendly air but the house was untouched by this beauty aloof and hostile it seemed to deride and despise any spirit that could wish good will to men and friendship to all the world to mrs amherst especially as she approached it it seemed to say you aren't truly so sentimental as to believe that the human race is loving and kind rid yourself of your illusions you should be ashamed of yourself at your age that you have any as she rang the bell and heard it clang defiantly through the house she felt again a dim and unhappy foreboding she always disliked her meeting with the housekeeper she felt that that woman despised and patronized her and now to-day she wished that she might encounter no one who raised hostility in her heart but one could only pass to her cousin over the housekeeper's body there was no other way for it the woman herself opened the door and was more forbidding than she had ever been mrs amorous suspected that in some way she had learnt about her cousin's promise always before there had been a tacit recognition however reluctant that mrs amherst had some right there to-day she blocked the doorway with her peevish ill-natured body and showed no sign at all of moving mrs amherst felt a sudden almost affectionate pity for her gift it had cost as it seemed to her a large sum but in the eyes of this woman it would be simply another wheedling attempt on her part to extort more money from her cousin she summoned her courage and smiled her friendliest smile good afternoon how is my cousin to-day 
not at all well i'm afraid oh dear i am sorry to hear that i thought that this fine weather might have done him some good there was no answer to this so after a little pause mrs amherst feeling the chill of the afternoon air said of course it is cold isn't it but i thought that being in bed he might not notice it has the doctor been to-day yes the doctor has been well she might ask me into the hall thought mrs amherst could i see him for a moment do you think i'm afraid not mrs amherst it was the doctor's orders that he was not to be disturbed not for a moment i really would not bother him just to wish him a happy christmas i'm afraid not those were the doctor's orders would you not ask him whether he would not see me for a moment i'm sorry but he's not to be disturbed by anybody there was a pause and then mrs amherst said cheerfully oh well i'm sure that's quite right if the doctor says so i only wanted to wish him a happy christmas i have a little gift she produced it from under her arm i have written a little note in case i should not be able to see him would you kindly give it to him certainly she took the parcel looking neither at it nor at mrs amherst but forward into the brown and naked garden with a frown of determination as though she were forewarning some plant that was whispering hopefully about the spring that she was not going to stand any of that sort of nonsense there was another little pause then mrs amherst said would you most kindly wish him a very happy christmas for me of course i know that it can't be a very happy christmas for him as ill as he is but i always think it makes a difference if one knows that people are thinking of one don't you i will certainly tell him and i hope you'll have a happy christmas too said mrs amherst trembling with the cold and wishing altogether in spite of her better feelings that the woman should herself know what it was to be kept out of a warm house on a cold day thank you very much mrs amherst i wish you the same i'm sure that was all there was nothing more to be done the door closed with a horrible final clang and in some strange flash of vision she knew that she was never to enter that house again she walked down the hill and in spite of all her courage forebodings now crowded upon her it was true that it was not her cousin's fault that he had not seen her he had not known that she was there but surely she had been foolish to build upon his idle word and that woman she had designs she certainly had designs she had looked at mrs amherst with a hostility that could mean only one thing and a sick man was so helpless the worse his sickness the weaker he was as she crossed the bridge over the pole it seemed to her that in another moment her courage would desert her because if that money did not come to her she summoned all her pluck standing for a moment on the bridge and watching the river take on its evening colour softly purple under the dark shadow of the rising hills then thinking of the evening that was coming and the fun that it would be she smiled things always turned out better than you expected the stars that were now breaking into the sky above her head were the eyes of god she was watched over and cared for and protected she had no need to fear the town as she passed up through the high street was bubbling with merriment and gaiety the shops blazed with lights the street was crowded everyone was laughing and happy 
hurrying along loaded with parcels stopping to speak it seemed to any one who was near that they might wish them good luck this was the world that mrs amorous loved why might it not always be like this she stopped at the cinderella window how pretty and touching she turned round to a stout man beside her and said isn't it pretty indeed it is mum he answered her smiling my little girl wants to take it home don't you pansy and a diminutive child squeaked out yes what a pretty little girl said mrs amorist thank you mum answered the fat man a merry christmas i'm sure and the same to you said mrs amorist the rest of the way home seemed easy arrived in her room she set about the development of her plan she had asked agatha payne and may beringer to come and visit her at eight o'clock she had two hours for her preparations the time flashed by and in a moment it was a quarter to eight she hurriedly put on her silk dress hung about her neck her thin gold chain with the locket that held brant's portrait brushed her lovely white hair put on her lace cap fresh and crisp from the laundry then her stiff white cuffs finished completed she sat down to survey her work a smile played about her lips it was the most beautiful thing that she had ever seen in her life at five minutes past eight there was a knock on her door and then another knock agatha payne and mary beringer entered they stood bewildered on the threshold it was indeed a pretty sight the curtains were drawn and the far end of the room was duskily shadowed but in the fireplace end stood the tree and what a tree of just the right size for the room it had a shape and symmetry that surely no other tree in all christendom could equal it tapered gradually with exquisite shape and form to a point that quivered and flickered like a green flame on the flame sturdily triumphed father christmas diminutive in body but alive in his smile his stolidity his gallant colour it was the colour that entranced the eye mrs amorist had worked with the soul of an artist she had not overburdened the slender branches the thin chains of frosted silver that hung from bough to bough seemed of themselves to dance in patterned rhythm balls of fire emerald and ruby amethyst and crystal shone in the light of the candles and at every place colour blended with colour the tree was always the tree the light that flashed from its boughs was not foreign to it but seemed to be integrally part of its life and history it had been placed on a long and broad looking-glass into which it looked down as though into a lake of crystal water the candles seemed to be the voices of the tree it was vocal in its pleasure its sense of fun at its own splendour its grand surprise that after all it had come off so well in proportion in blending of colour in grandeur of spirit it was the finest tree in england that night on either side of the tree were two tables spread with white cloths on one table were some parcels beautifully tied with coloured ribbons and on the other sandwiches a plum cake with white icing some saffron buns and a dish of sweets and chocolates the two ladies stood amazed so pretty was the room with its soft pink colours its light dim save for the aureole of golden splendour shed by the tree so utterly unexpected the display that words would not come 
only at last may berenger cried oh dear dear me dear me both ladies had dressed in their party best may in her orange silk that suited her i fear not too well and agatha in her dark purple a dress of a fashion now forgotten too small for her but that nevertheless with her black hair finely brushed her dark eyes flashing gave her the air of older days the air that had made mr payne thirty-five years ago call her his gypsy queen oh i do hope you won't both think me too silly said mrs amherst coming forward but i simply had to do something this christmas we've just done nothing the last two christmases and it did seem too bad don't you think so i do hope you don't mind mind said may berenger coming towards the tree and gazing at it with her mouth open like a schoolgirl why mrs amorous it's lovely it's the loveliest thing why i can't speak i can't indeed words won't come i, I can't say anything at all agatha payne was moved more deeply still the color possessed her as color always possessed her coming towards her like a living breathing person holding out its arms to her and whispering to her you and i we are the only ones here who understand i have been waiting for you and you alone indeed it seemed to her that the tree belonged to her and was hers absolutely the two other women vanished from her consciousness she could see only the pale golden flame of the candles so steady so pure so dignified the balls of amethyst and ruby and crystal as they swung and turned and gleamed so slightly and yet always with a secret life and purpose of their own and the deep green of the tree richly velvet under the light of the candles she stood absorbed entranced waves of sensuous pleasure running through her body so silent were they both that after a minute had passed mrs amherst was alarmed i'm so glad you like it she said almost timidly shan't we sit down and look at it i like to think of all the other trees there are to-night in everybody's homes and the children dancing round them and the presents she broke off because of longing for brand came to her so urgently that it was all she could do not to call out his name for a moment it seemed to her foolish humbug, sham, and ridiculous sentiment that the three of them, old, forgotten, not wanted by anybody, should indulge in this display. But looking up at the tree, she was comforted. Anything so beautiful had its own purpose. She had made a beautiful thing. She felt the joy of the Creator in her handiwork they sat in a row looking at the tree may berenger was all in a moment voluble she had so much to tell them of the trees that she had known the trees that she had had in her own house the trees that she and jane betts had decorated together the christmas festivities that they had had in exeter you would think to hear her that exeter was the centre of all the splendour and gaiety of the world oh she talked and laughed and was so wildly excited that she nearly cried agatha payne said very little she only stared and stared at the tree the next part of the entertainment arrived mrs amorous picked up the parcels in their lovely white paper and coloured ribbon and blushing a little shell pink faintly colouring the ivory of her cheeks said 
these are little tiny things that i got you mustn't laugh at me please for getting them i think the chief part of a present is that it should be wrapped up in paper don't you but i hope you'll like them and they did like them at least may Beringer liked hers she had a case with three pairs of scissors and a book in a purple cover the light of asia by sir edwin arnold agatha payne said little about hers only thank you lucy in a deep hoarse-throated murmur she had a box of coloured cottons and a purple blotter she could not take her eyes away from the tree then they cut the cake and ate the sandwiches and mrs amherst made tea and listened happily cosily to may beringer's reminiscences how happy it was with the blazing tree the dim room the bells pealing beyond the window the crackling fire each old lady forgot the other they were lost in their own world of remembered and recaptured life past joys past sorrows past desires past regrets the clock ticked on the candles burnt with steady flame the bells rang out gradually lucy amorous closed her eyes she heard may beringer's voice from a vast distance then her own faintly replying oh, how curious oh, indeed indeed her head sank upon her breast may beringer also bathed in the warmth of the room comforted with tea and happiness closed her eyes her head nodded once and twice and thrice she pulled herself up stared sharply at mrs amorous saw two mrs amorists then three her head fell she also slept only agatha payne her dark eyes fixed sat without moving staring at the tree End of chapter five